Welcome to the Ask Brian Podcast Radio Show, where you'll hear from some of the most successful founders and CEOs of businesses and startups, sharing their best advice for success, and even some stories on how their mistakes actually make them even more successful. Now, here are your hosts, Brian and Tracy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You're listening to the Ask Brian Radio Show on KHS 1220. In 98.1 FM. Well, every week we have a show and we, we either talk to a founder, to a startup, or sometimes we talk to people that can actually teach you something about business. And today, our guest is going to be able to do both. She actually is a founder. She actually has a story to tell us and will be teaching us a lesson in the accounting financial world. So we're going to have her on shortly. But people that have never listened to the Ask Brian Show... We are a business show. We've been going on since January 2017, so over six and a half years. And our show, we try to teach people something about business. But everybody always asks us the question, why is Ask Brian, A-S-K-B-R-I-E-N? Nobody understands why we're spelling it that way. Most people went to school with a person and their name was Brian. It was B-R-Y-A-N or B-R-I-N. Why are you E? And so... We're going to ask our co-host, Tracy. Tracy, are you there? I'm here, and I'm always happy to talk about the E's. The E's make me happy. And just because I have to do this every show, and Tracy loves that I do this each show, is, no, my name is not O'Brien. I'm not an Irish man. I don't go to the Irish pub. So I didn't get that name, Brian. I just want to say that I'm, we really missed you last week, but we really didn't miss the O'Brien <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually training Andrew, the engineer who begins with an E. I'm training the engineer. What's your clap? Oh, okay. Oh, thank you. Thank you. See, I want to clap for myself. Engineer. <laughs> well, you can have an ego. That's another E. <laughs> Egotistical engineer. That's that double E. Well, you may not have had me talk about the Brian Irish pub concept, but you certainly know a lot about E's. And we're going to ask you for our audience to explain, other than the engineer, okay, why Brian is spelled with an E. Okay, well, the second most important E next to the engineer, of course. Boy, that was quite a, quite a pickup there. I got you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm always trying to butter up the engineer because you just never know. So I appreciate I, that. Appreciate at least I'm honest about it. <laughs> or you may get cut off, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And speaking of butter, I know where the bread's buttered, so we're going to always thank the engineer first. And we, and we mean that with all sincerity. But our experts are equally important because that's what really drives the content of the show is our experts. And we even have a mathematical formula that I have honed, refined, practiced, and presented enough times that I feel really confident about it. And that is to be an expert defined by the Ask Brian radio show and podcast. And a, log- and a, and it's you- and a logarithm as well. Yes, exactly, is that you would have specialized in your niche or business category for a minimum of 10,000 hours. And the way we come up with that, in general, 10,000 hours is broken down by working an average of 40 hours a week over the course of 50 weeks a year over the course of five years. But, Peter, you and I both know, and every expert that we've had on this show has confirmed that 40 hours a week and a startup when you are 
trying to build and scale a business is completely unrealistic, just doesn't happen. And so we feel like you could probably achieve that 10,000 hour status in a probably a three year maximum, right? But regardless of the math, we bring on experts that are exceptional in the areas of their expertise. I know you love it when I throw three E's in in one sentence. Well, you know, but you missed, besides missing the most important one, and we're going to get to that, you know, I thought you were on path when you talked about the engineer, and I thought that's where you were going to go, which is that you try to empathize with others, and empathy is a very, very big E. And if you can empathize with others, and that's what I thought you were doing when you were talking about the engineer, I was expecting that, hey, what happened? Well, you know what? I really always like to reserve the empathy E for you. Because I always feel like you just kind of need a little reminder every week about empathy. <laughs> well, remember, my, so my feet can fit into anyone's shoes, so therefore empathy is never going to be an issue. Yeah, that's what I hear. But anyway, <laughs> moving on. So, of course, we're empathetic for all the people who are struggling to listen through this, including our guest, who's probably run things screaming out of the studio by now, but we hope not. But one of the other things that we talk about in regards to energy is something that is, well, it's a word that you like to say very ferociously. And what is that word? Excitement! And enthusiasm? Well, you know, listen, it goes to actually, it's not even an E, it's a P, okay? So that's why I don't like to use it. But excitement, enthusiasm, what? Passion. If you're passionate about something, then you can really, really, really do well on it. Even on your worst day as an entrepreneur, you got to go to the well to get that enthusiasm and that excitement and that energy because that's what keeps us going and keeps us just on track to do all the hard things that sometimes present themselves in the day of an entrepreneur. So we are big on energy, big on enthusiasm, big on excitement. And then there's one other thing that I think is really important, and it's also my favorite, right? I don't know. Yes, you do. You know what my favorite is. Are you a uh, Smokey Bear? <laughs> no, not Smokey Bear. Because that's how we talk. It comes from a movie that you always like to remind me of. It's about that movie and Broadway play. It's called yes. Grease Lightning is... Electrifying. And we are electrifying, and we're going to be even more so today with our guests. So I'm going to let you take over and introduce and get on our way with this amazing show. But first, we have to go over two things, one of which is the number uno, all right, is education. We try to educate people. Oh. And you're not, you did not educate our listeners. So we have to take a little step back on that. And we are here. Sorry about that. We are here to educate people, okay? And, of course, you mentioned it, but just again, we are a show for entrepreneurs, which also is another E. So, do you have any claps or what? No, nothing. This engineer is kind of like, I think the engineer fell asleep. Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. We've got a show. We've got a show. All right. Now. I'm here. I'm here. I have a lot of enthusiasm and energy. I'm ready. Woohoo! Yay! All right. <laughs> that actually sounds like me. That's kind of scary that that actually sounds. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, you know how they have those lookalike audiences on Facebook. So we had a lookalike uh, comment section. That's how we came up with that one. 
so a couple questions for you, okay. Your business is called what? Profit Matters. And how did you come up with that name? Because your profit matters more than anything when you are a business owner. You can't have a business if you don't make money. That's absolutely true. And part of that, I think, is a big part of that concept is cash flow, right? So even if you're making profits, you can be making profits on the books. But if the cash flow isn't coming in to pay your bills because, oh, great, I got $2 million in accounts receivable, but nobody's paying me, you're still going to have the same problem. So profits do absolutely matter. And it's a great concept to have. I also think as part of that, obviously, you need cash flow and 500 other things that we're going to learn today. So your company is called Profit Matters. What did you do prior to Profit Matters? What was the first major business that you were involved in? I was still hung up on that Profit Matters and you you saying cash matters. Like maybe we need to change the name. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, really happy to be here today. Before Profit Matters, I actually was part of a construction manufacturing company. And we did custom manufacturing, like props, murals, 3D pieces, and indoor playgrounds, mostly in churches. So you go into a church or a dentist's office, and you see these extravagant children's areas. That's the kind of work we did all over the U.S. That's amazing. I didn't even realize that was a business. When you were talking about construction and manufacturing, I was thinking that you're doing something modular, you know, like where they can build a hospital in in a week or something. That that was what I was thinking in my head, or or create a, a factory really, really quickly. That's how I I was thinking. I didn't even think about the concept of either A, in churches, or B, you know, playgrounds and other stuff for kids. So I'm totally <laughs> blown on, on that one. I had no clue how you came up with that. But that's a great concept to have. And when you think about it, you know, almost every school nowadays has always had playgrounds, right? But now they have mm-hmm. after school hours and preschool hours. Why? Because parents have to work, you know. Just like entrepreneurs are working 90 hours a week, the parents are also working crazy hours and they have to get to work, the mother and the father, and there's nobody around. So they have playgrounds, I imagine, in schools for both after school and before school. And when you think about it, churches, people going to church all the time. So wouldn't it be great to have Mm -hmm. the kids have a place to to do something? Yeah. And imagine those like soft play pieces that you see at the airport. You're walking by and there's a little kid's area. So you're literally taking a block of foam, you're carving that down, it goes into a paint booth and it gets hard coated and it gets spray painted. It's a really cool process. So when you think manufacturing, you're thinking we're actually manufacturing these giant soft play pieces and wayfinding signs and things like that. It's really cool business. I thought they were creating those for me. Wow. All right. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you had that business now. Was that your own business or were you working for people or how did that work? That business was founded by someone else, and I went to work there when it was still a very small business and worked my way up while I was in school to become a CPA, worked as the CFO there after I got my CPA license, came in one day and said, hey, you know what, I think I'm going to go work big four because someday I want to have my own CPA firm. And he said, listen, I don't know what we'll do without you. You've been here such a long time, huge part of the business. I'd like to offer you equity to stay here. And, you know, at the time, I was in my 20s, and I thought, man, this is a gravy train. We're going to get these great checks. We're a very profitable business. And then he even came in later and said, you know, I don't have a lot of interest in being the CEO here. Why don't you just kind of run the business, and you can, you know, kind of set your own schedule and do what you want to. And, again, I thought, oh, my gosh, this is what I'm going to do forever. I had no idea the day was going to come when he walked in and said, hey, we're never going to get what we're going to get for this business right now. It's the perfect time to sell it. And I have a broker taking a look at the deal for us. 
we're going to get some numbers, but I think that we're going to have a pretty nice exit. And you talk about, like, the thought of getting the money and the exit didn't even matter to me. It was like, I thought I was going to do this forever. And I think a lot of people get in that where they're really comfortable and you think of it being more like a lifestyle business and, you know, you're earning really good money there. But the thought of selling your business is kind of scary. But it ended up being a great step for us. Well, sure, because it's great to sell. It's great to get money out of the transaction. But then you got to figure out, okay, you know, I'm 25 years old or or however age you were, and what am I going to do for the rest of my life, right? And by the way, I love the ease there because E is equity, right? That's another good thing. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. And the exit. (laughs) So you got double E's, exit equity. So after you left the company, or actually, so what happened? The company was sold, and then you got something out of it, and then you took that money and started another business? Yeah, company was sold. At the time, like in hindsight, if I would have just kind of sat still for a little bit, uh, I think that there's two things. One, I was told you could never sell your business too soon or for too little. And I think that that's a huge thing. I told someone else that today. So if you're thinking about selling your business and you're listening today, there's an opportunity that you won't get what you're being offered for it now. And a lot of people say, well, I might get 10 times the money later. I'm going to grow it or I just haven't hit the right milestone yet. But I hear people who say I had a $20 million deal on the table and I went out of business the next year for whatever reason, a satellite company and those, you know, don't exist anymore, the big ones. But yeah, after that, you know, left and went on and I should have been really smart, but I thought, oh man, I could take this money and I could do nothing and figure out how to invest and maybe not have to really work again. Or I could do something and just work my tail off like you guys were talking about before and be that entrepreneur who puts in your hundred hours a week and never sleeps to see your kids. And I thought, I'm going to take this money and I'm going to make this money go five times. But it was actually the opposite of that. I got in the construction business. I built huge structures all over the Dallas-Fort Worth area and felt like I was really doing something important. But at the end of the day, I maybe was creating structures and learning how to operate in another industry, but it was costing me a lot of money. So much so that I wasn't seeing my family. I'm completely invested in this company and almost ran myself completely broke. And I realized even with a CPA background, you can't just move from one business to the next and be successful. So I'll say that again. Just because you're successful in your business now doesn't mean you can just go be successful in any business. So in the construction business, sitting in my office one day thinking, I really have to do something different. And I had heard of a company called BotKeeper, and they do accounting services similar to Profit Matters. And they said, anything a bookkeeper can do, a BotKeeper can do. So I tried that service out, and I found that in construction, there's a lot of complexities. There's job costing. There's all these things that you actually do have to have the human element. But I thought, you know why We were so successful in the company that we sold. It was because I did the CFO work and I was constantly downloading and analyzing and looking and freezing spending and doing this and that. And I thought there's got to be a way to get that information to the business owner faster. So if we could use AI technology and machine learning and we could capture some of that and analyze it and then present it in a way so the business owner could use it to make better business decisions. So did that with a partner, started Profit Matters. And like many relationships, that one failed. And I acquired Profit Matters in full January 2020, pulled it all in-house, and then we've been ramping up from there. So is Profit Matters have a chat feature or or an AI feature, or is it exclusively manual and being done by yourselves? 
No, I love that you asked that question. So once my partner and I split, we became a full-on service company. So imagine a whole bunch of people, CPAs, accountants, bookkeepers, doing uh, bookkeeping, AP, AR, payroll, sales tax, income tax, CFO services, that kind of stuff. But I still had this burning desire to make a SaaS company. Like, you know, it's just the hot, sexy thing right now. Everybody wants to have a software company. So I did go down the software route again, and we have a software platform that we built proprietary where we have tasks, messages, files, a really nice KPI dashboard, and all the work with the client happens there, and it sits on top of your accounting system. So if you're using QuickBooks, it sits on top, and it sees all that data and pulls it in. But the cool thing was I went, man, if Tesla can drive me around, and I have a Tesla, I absolutely love it, but if my car can drive me, and if ChatGPT can answer my questions, then why can my accounting software that sits on top of my actual accounting data not give me better answers to the things I'm looking for? So that is the route we're going. We're just now pulling in some AI and machine learning. So imagine that you get on the phone with your accountant. What typically happens is they say, let me get this spreadsheet. We'll look at this number. Maybe we could tweak this or that. You make your profits better and profits matter. But what we are trying to achieve here is that by the time I get on the phone with you, then I could say, hey, I saw here that you're going to run out of cash in eight weeks, and I've already teed up three loan options for you to help you apply for those today. And so it doesn't take away the need for a human. What I've done is take away the need for you to pay me to download and analyze your data for hours a day, which makes your accounting service be too expensive for you to be able to afford it. So we're just trying to make a better, higher quality experience for our customers and our employees. And that one area, are you actually inputting the data into the, you know, the customer or client? Are they inputting the data in there and then the chat or something is analyzing it or is it being inputted in another alternative way? Nope, that's right. So into QuickBooks, you connect your bank accounts, all that data comes in. There's still a bookkeeper categorizing those transactions. So we're still doing a lot of manual work, the normal day-to-day accounting and bookkeeping. But on the other side, we're able to speed it up drastically, and we're able to get the business owners the things that they need out of their accounting data that can help them make a difference. And do you charge a flat fee or do you charge by the hour? It is a set monthly fee. There are hourly rates for projects or special things, or let's say we get a brand new client and their books, you know, they come in, they say, I haven't reconciled anything in a year. My book's a mess. My accountant quit. We'll come in. We'll catch that stuff up at hourly rate. And then we'll go on to a set monthly fee. And would that include something like forensics? That part of it, right? It would, okay. yes. Uh-huh. Forensics are usually included like in CFO type services. So there's no attestation services at Profit Matters. So we don't do any audit work, but we do support auditors and we help them pull all the things they need to all the time. But we're more on the accounting and the tax side. Super. Tracy, you got some questions. Yeah. So thank you for sharing so much of your story. I think there's a lot of parts to it that most entrepreneurs maybe don't get to experience but need to know about. In fact, I was on a call with a business owner yesterday, and she thought she needed a partnership agreement with someone that she was doing business with, and she ultimately actually only needed a revenue share agreement because she didn't need to be legally tied up into this situation with this particular person. And so I wanted to talk with you about the fact that your decision around bringing in a partner for Profit Matters, and then when you're realizing that that partnership wasn't working, 
how to unwind that and, and what dissolving that looked like. So what was it that was motivating for you to bring in a partner essentially? My advice would be if you're going to get a partner, think about it like a marriage. It's going to be much harder to get divorced than it is married. And explore what the end looks like before you even do the beginning. So if this doesn't work out, what are we going to do? And what is what does that absolutely, you know, entail for us? Because what I think is, you know, just like a marriage, you're in this dating and this honeymoon stage and you go, oh, this is going to be great. And then you end up losing a friend or just somebody who is valuable in your life whenever it doesn't work out in the end. So I got in a partnership in Profit Matters because of the technology piece. This person actually had a technology a development company, and so they were able to do that development piece for us and to contribute. When I didn't even realize what I was getting into in the beginning, that there was going to be this disconnect between even duties and responsibilities and who was doing what. And so we failed to document what this entire relationship was going to look like up front. And I think what you mentioned is incredibly important to highlight is the roles and responsibilities and the delegation and then taking that another step further based on the skill set. So mm -hmm. you were very strategic in the reason you selected a partnership because technology, maybe this person had a more advanced skill set in that area. But what I'm also hearing you say is that once you guys entered into this partnership, that there wasn't a clear delineation of roles and responsibilities. That's right. I was left with everything else. It was like I was going to operate in the company, and at the time, it's still a service company, even though we're developing technology. So then you're left here. You know, I'm a CPA, and I, I get a team in India. Like, this team's going to do the work for you. But I was at a CFO level where I've not entered bank transactions or reconciled a bank account in years, right? So then here I am with these clients that we're bringing on, and I'm literally onboarding clients and being the CEO. Like, hey, oh, yeah, we're going to do the work. And then I have this team that's in a different time zone than me, you know, trying to do the work. And I just, I think that the deliverable we're, we're, that we're providing the client, you know, we're doing them an injustice. I just didn't think that we were, we weren't providing the level of service or the quality that I wanted to see there. And so that was a source of contention as well. And then did you have a form of partnership, like a legal partnership agreement in place so that when you were becoming more and more aware that the partnership wasn't going to work out, did you have provisions for an exit included in a legal document? We did. We hired a really good attorney, and they prepared all of the partnership agreement for us, so our operating agreement, and we had formally created an LLC, and then for us, we elected the S-Corp. So I know a lot of people probably listening, especially out in California, are a C-Corp, so it's a little different. But for us, just having an S-Corp and an operating agreement worked well. I had created a C-Corp in another business with this person, and in hindsight, was one of the dumbest mistakes I ever made, was in these agreements, you have somebody who's your tiebreaker. So if you don't agree on something, this person can help you get to that agreement without an attorney. And I was silly enough to allow that to be my partner's wife was our tiebreaker. Ooh. And I, I think 90% of the time the wife's going to side with the husband no matter what the decision is. Yeah, I can see that that would be something that you probably mm. won't ever do again if that, if that situation presents itself. But that's one of the things why I love having conversations with entrepreneurs like yourself who have such a track record of building successful businesses in all different areas from equity to exit and 
you know, those are learning curves that by you sharing those with our audience that, you know, it might seem in retrospect like a, you know, an aha moment, but at the time that you made that decision, you made it the decision with the information you had at the time. So I think it's important to really communicate that we all have uh, decision fails that lead to learning that then lead to better business operators. Mm-hmm. Right. So in terms of, like, now that you're, there's not a partnership in your organization, so you are 100% owner of the company, what does the rest of your team look like? Yeah, very good question. The rest of my team is people all over the U.S., so it's made up of CPAs and accountants and bookkeepers, and then we have a sales team, and our COO, and our CO is actually CPA. And funny enough, our sales team are people who have accounting degrees. So I have this kind of sneaky way of finding salespeople. We use something called predictive index, and predictive index is like culture index or a lot like any of these other personality tests, if you will, that identify your workplace trait behaviors is what I call them. We're actually a reseller of this software. I love it so much. But we use it to kind of weed people out and see, do you have the traits that would be good to fit this role? So example would be you don't want to hire a bookkeeper who's extremely low detail, and you can see that on there. Well, there's a profile that's very distinct for a salesperson. So we'll have bookkeepers apply for a bookkeeper job. And occasionally you'll see one come through that's like, oh, that person was born a salesperson just through and through. And then we'll interview them and I will try to sneak, like sneakily convince them, you know, you were born a salesperson. You're not ever going to really love your accounting job. If you want a sales job, you'll make way more money. And then kind of hire people like that. So I always say that that's like a funny part, profit matters. But yeah, that's our team in a nutshell. And what are your plans to scale your team? Like, are you focused on business development right now? Like, where are the areas of your team that you're going to experience growth? Yeah, we are. We have actually grown year over year, top on revenue. And we, it feels like we're adding people all the time. We're constantly interviewing for various roles and really trying to grow the top line. We just took a little BC money, and that helped us to continue development of our software. And we've actually been looking for another VC or private equity partner to help us get to the next level. So with a little more investment, we'll continue to grow, obviously, faster than we are kind of organically right now. But, yeah, our goal is to try to get to $10 million in top-line revenue as quick as we can, which we're hoping is in the next two to three years or so. That's really great. I mean, it sounds like it's an aggressive but attainable plan, and it's also nice to be able to have that VC infusion, of course. So we were talking about raising VC capital that you have already raised around that you're looking for other investors. Can you tell us about that process and really want to hone in on the balancing of going out and raising funds with actually the day-to-day operations of also running the business? Yeah, it's crazy because it is a little bit distracting, right? So you still have your normal CEO responsibilities, especially at Profit Matters. We're small enough. We need to be doing things like documenting our processes better or, you know, every now and then I'll jump on a sales call or a meeting with our COO or trying to figure out, you know, how to best utilize our staff. And, you know, outside of that, when you're raising funds, it's a full day of being on calls back to back. So 
you have these meetings where you pour your heart out and you're pitching, you know, your business for most of us, it's like a marriage. We're just 100% hooked on it and sold and this or everything. And so you tell people this great and awesome story. And at the end, they almost always say the same thing. We're really impressed with you and your business. And we think you're a great entrepreneur, but we don't think it's the right time to invest or maybe you're not there yet or keep us posted and we want to hear what happens in the future and it's these things. And it almost like sucks the life right out of you because you're like, let me tell you about my great story. And then boom, your story wasn't as good as you thought it was, you know? <laughs> but um, <laughs> and then you keep on, like you just have to have your heart and has to be so into it and you're so passionate about it that you just keep on going out there and selling yourself and pitching, pitching, pitching. Until you find the right person. I think it's about finding the right partner because, again, it's like a partnership. I mean, someone told me when you get an investor, now you have a job because you essentially work for these other people, and they're going to ask you questions, and they're going to push you harder and farther. And, you know, I've said things like, well, our sales were this, and they were so good, and it's like, oh, we were expecting to see double that. And you almost go like, well, how did you think that that was even going to happen? And so, yeah, you just it's a constant juggle of, you know, who can I go out and talk to and how do I get introduced to people? And I did the accelerator program. Shout out to Expert Dojo. They were amazing. But that was weeks of not working on your business. That was weeks of working on your business instead of in it. And so you're literally on these calls trying to figure out how to become a better entrepreneur and tell a better story and really understand your roadmap of where you're trying to go. Well, I think you make such a good point, too, about the fact that when you transition from owning and running your business and working in the day-to-day as the CEO, founder, CEO, that's one thing. But when you take on investors, and I love the way you literally put it, when you take on investors, you now have a job because you work for the investors. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't really think that all the way through, right? I think they think, I need the money, I, need, I want to scale, I, want, I, I need this infusion of cash but they're not necessarily thinking it all the way through and what that ultimately means for you as you're no longer the 100% business owner and your accountability to somebody else who may or may not have the same philosophies about how you run it, how you scale it, how you brand it. Like you're all of a sudden, you're in a completely different situation. It's just not as glamorous as it looks on Shark Tank sometimes, right? That's right. It's more like a partnership, right? You have to figure out how are you going to untangle this relationship that you've started and how are you going to give the money back if it doesn't go right? Okay, well, I would be remiss as a female entrepreneur business owner who has raised funds set across from the VC tables, worked in a male-dominated industry. So I've got the street cred to ask this question. And I want to pose it to you, which is you have been incredibly successful in construction finance and very few female-owned businesses, sadly, um, get VC funding right now. So I wanted to ask you, have you had any challenges or how have you felt in your entrepreneurial journey of working in male-dominated fields and working with investors? Has that been a challenge for you in any way? Well, I'll tell you what, in construction, it felt like it was easier to get a job because people were curious about you being a female in the industry. So I literally could call to an office or send an email and say, hey, I want to introduce my concrete company to you. You know, we're trying to make a name for ourselves, and I'd like to come in and formally shake your hand. And so having that, asking them for that in-person introduction seemed to be huge. And I could get meetings, 
And I felt like I could probably have gotten work just because I was a woman. But someone once told me, don't ever cross the line because then everyone will expect it. So I just played from that day forward by all the rules and never acting like I was a woman, just going into everything like I was just like everyone else. And so anytime that I felt anything that seemed even slightly uncomfortable, it would be to remove myself from the situation. And I would say in all of it, if you're a woman and you're struggling in a male-dominated industry, like, you cannot act like a woman because the second that you act like a woman, you will be treated like a woman. And I heard a male business owner tell me, they said, every woman I hire wants me to treat them like everyone else, like all the guys in the office. But as soon as I do, then they think that they're being mistreated. And so I think that's the difference. I think you have to keep that in mind. If you are going to work in a male-dominated space or you want to be treated like everyone else, you actually have to act like everyone else. You have to walk it, talk it. You know, I would get out in the field with my hard hat on and my rubber boots, and I would change from my high heels in my car. And so it's just being conscious of what you're driving up in and how you're dressing and how you're putting yourself off to everyone else because I think that that's going to determine how other people treat you. I think that's an excellent point. You have been such a delight, and your story is so impactful. I know people have learned a ton, and they're probably going to want to continue this conversation with you afterwards. What is the best way for people to get in touch with you? I know your website is profitmatters.co. What is the best way for people to get in touch with you personally if they want to uh, reach out or if they're interested in investing? Yes, I would love for people to reach out to me at my email address. It's Ashley, A-S-H-L-E-Y. Did you hear that E, Brian? I mean, Whoa, that's- <laughs> I love the E. Oh, e is for yeah, excellent. Go ahead. E is for excellent. Um, sorry, but my email address is Ashley at ProfitMatters.co. So it's .co, Ashley at ProfitMatters.co. Okay, great. Well, we are... Excited to have you on the show, and if you're listening to the show right now and you couldn't write that down or you couldn't get all the value bombs stored in your memory and you want to go back and listen to all of the great points that Ashley made today about growing a business, getting financing, building a team, functioning in all of these male-dominated spaces, you are going to want to go download our podcast, and it is the Ask Brian podcast. And that is, of course, A-S-K-B-R-I-E-N. And the podcast is available wherever you listen to your favorite shows. That's Apple, that's Spotify, that's iHeartMedia, SiriusXM, Pandora, you name it, we're there. We want you to go find the show, follow the show, download the show, and share the show. See, we don't want to ask a lot of you. We just want you to do those four things. Find it, follow it, download it, share it. Well, that's a lot. So some of the questions, we only have a few seconds left, 30 seconds. So the question was, how did you get your first client? Uh, we Ashley. got our first client with Google AdWords. So I think if you're in a service-based business, especially Google AdWords can really help you land a client, which means when you start a business, the most important thing that you have to have is dollars to throw at marketing. Because if you can make your name pop up when people type in bookkeeper near me or car washing service near me, then people are going to click that link and they're going to call you. And then at that point, it's just how good you are at closing a deal or converting a lead. Wow. Super. Great to have you on the show, Ashley. And Tracy, thanks a lot. And until next week, we'll be back over and out. 
Thank you for tuning in to the Ask Brian radio show. You can listen to us every Thursday on KTHS AM 1220 and FM 98.1 or via Facebook Live or anytime wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit askbrian.com to join the conversation and ask us your business questions and we'll answer them on our next episode. That's askbrien.com.